Welcome back, all you cool cats and kittens. I don't think I've ever said that before. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about American Graffiti again today. Another song, another day. I am your DJ, Tierney Steele, and I am joined by a fabulous guest, one Heidi Bennett. Hey, Tierney. <laughs> I love starting off with a fresh new catchphrase that may uh, may never come back again. That's great. <laughs> no, no. With like 10 episodes left in the show. Of course not. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where my head's at. Uh, but I just got very excited because this is a, this is an excellent American graffiti segment. You get Terry and Debbie, you've got Kurt, and you've got... The Wolfman Jack. That's right, listeners. How? Yes! (laughs) Today we're going to talk about the Orioles crying in the chapel, and we're going to cover the end of Terry and Debbie's date, and Kurt going to the radio station, and meeting someone who says he is not Wolfman Jack. But do not despair. That man is a liar, for he is Wolfman Jack. On multiple levels. (laughs) (laughs) So since we have a little bit of them right here at the top, I wanted to quickly talk about how absolutely sublime Candy Clark is. Oh, I'm right there with you. She she is the sparkle of this whole film, I think. She just, I love everything about her, the personality of the character and the way she's costumed, her body language, her playfulness. She's just such a sweetie pie. Yeah, I think I was <laughs> I think I was kind of intimidated by Debbie as a kid watching this and was like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. and so I always thought this was funny where she's like, No, I mean it. I had a really good time tonight. <laughs> but <laughs> This was like do it studying this for the podcast was the first time that I really paid attention not just to her body language but also her face at the end when he's like you know you know he says like I got the Vespa just like that's almost a motorcycle and he's like why didn't you say something earlier and if you just watch her face it's just like this idiot yeah I'm gonna go out <laughs> with him tomorrow night like it's it's such a beautiful moment of like. And you get this throughout the movie. Debbie's actually really smart. Debbie knows what's going on. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But it's sometimes hard to, like, take her seriously. I think just the volume of the hair (laughs) throws me (laughs) off. And so I really love any moment where you see, like, intelligent, emotionally aware, enjoying herself flash across her face. Yeah, for sure. I can't say enough good things about Candy Clark and about Debbie and yeah and she looks very smart and focused and mm-hmm. and I love her hair and I love her her dress and and yeah. she's just absolutely fabulous and yeah I mean I'm a big fan of this era and the clothing of this era and um hairspray is one of my favorite movies and there's a lot of hair hoppers over there too so this is Stuff I love. It's an absolutely gorgeous dress. I love that. And one of the things that I always have picked, I shouldn't say always. I'm, I know for a fact it was not always, but ever since I became like watching movies and into fashion and stuff, noticing when people are wearing 
it wouldn't be pantyhose. It'd be stockings. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. like when you when you all of a sudden you look and you're like, oh, wait, the tone on her legs is different than her arms. And that or like in photographs, when you see the sheen and it's like, oh, wait, that means she had for some reason. I always felt like Sherlock Holmes when I could tell like, oh, yep, because people were wearing stockings a lot more than <laughs> we realize <laughs> living in the modern day. So, yeah. And the way she's just sitting with him on the pavement. It's a really sweet moment because he's very much like, ah, you don't mean that. She's like, no, you're going to get another chance, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) You got to do over. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that the Vespa is in the background and it had it dented that garbage can (laughs) yeah (laughs) as a driver of a smart car i i love that little parking spot yeah that (laughs) that it's yeah that it's there since the very beginning of the movie when he just biffed it right in there yeah (laughs) yeah just like this will be fine here and i i especially love the little touch that apparently no one has come out of Mel's and fixed the lid of the garbage can that got dislodged when he crashed into it. (laughs) Because, I mean, uh, we're going to see a clock in a few minutes. It's almost 5 a.m. And we see, like, a waitress just, like, sitting inside, bored of her But, like, nope, this is just Toad's little parking area, and they're not going to do anything with it (laughs) until tomorrow. Yeah, I love the way she's captured and framed out in this, too, the, um... The waitress. It's like a little mm. mini Nighthawks at the diner sort of <laughs> yes. vignette there with her little little head in orange. And yeah, the whole Mel's, you know, all the lamps and the all the all the oranges and yellows and everything. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Yeah, we're, we're dropping you right into 1963 with this orange right here. <laughs> Big time. And then the the one thing that I do feel bad that I just I can't stop staring at is toad shoes. That that white uh They've had a night. <laughs> they they've had a night. That is the perfect way to put that. <laughs> the toll that this night has taken on Terry, I guess we should say, uh shows on his shoes. <laughs> Big time. But yeah, I love that. I, there is something about the way, yeah, that their shoes are a, a part of this. Store this visual story. I mean, they really are um, the suede and the mud and the everything from his hair has flopped by now yep. too. You know, the sides <laughs> were slicked back and now they're just like they're done. They're totally they're done. His hair is has <laughs> called it a night. Oh, always a bad sign when your hair calls it a night. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I absolutely love, and I love his little comeback when uh, she's describing. It's like. I have a pretty good time every night. Like, it's just, I, because at the beginning of this movie, the whole joke about Terry was how unself aware he, how awkward he was, how much he didn't kind of fit in with this gang. He always felt like he was kind of tagging along with them. And here, you know, he's getting a, you know, he's, he's got the girl, he's done the thing, he's still himself, but he has that little bit of awareness of like, yeah, because she's describing all the horrible things. And he's like, yeah, this is my life. And then she gives him, he's like, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I feel like like she's framed, she's reframed the experience mm-hmm. for him in a really like, you know what, actually, that is a pretty memorable night when you really do the, when you do the inventory. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't pretend. 
She doesn't gloss over things that happen, but there was a lot of good in there too. And um, just have to give a shout out because, of course, as I'm rewatching this, when she kisses him and he says, ow, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I can't help but think of Indiana Jones and For Marianne. For sure. So. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's a it's a great moment. And um what we're hearing throughout these moments is the song Crying in the Chapel, which I have to admit, so you know, I looked it up. I always do research on my songs, but I have been very spoiled with amazing guests who really know their music. And so I really just looked up the bare bones of like, okay, 1953, here's where it was on the charts. And I wanted to let you kind of just go to town talking about the music because it, it just kept listing all these people that the Orioles influenced. And I'm like, Heidi's going to know this. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, this is what I'll tell you. I'm not an expert on the Orioles, but I am a big, huge fan of early rhythm and blues and gospel and this kind of music. And yes, uh, Elvis Presley did a, a very popular cover of this. And it's one thing that I like to remind people or um I don't want to say like oh I want to educate you you know you need to be t- schooled or whatever <laughs> anything like that but one thing I do like to point out sometimes is that Elvis gets a bad rap for being like the white guy that stole every you know black person's mm-hmm. <laughs> heritage music wise or whatever but you know his his interpretation has its own merit and value to it as well. And a lot of people did cover other people's material. And but yeah, this is definitely my preferred version, the Orioles, and I'm not an expert on them, but I do love that era. And it's the it's the era that I've performed the most as well, more of the the early 50s rock and roll and rhythm and blues and gospel. This is a very doo-woppy, gospel-y tune. And it's the kind of thing that when you play it on a record player in your house and really let it reverberate throughout, you know, up to the rafters, that it's it's quite moving. And, and I'm not a religious person, but I think um, this kind of early gospel is just like brings emotion to me just in singing it and listening to it. And if you look up any of that um, gospel from the 50s, this is the kind of good stuff you hear. It really took me aback because I'm getting very uh, cynical jaded because I I really assumed before I looked up the lyrics that this would be crying in the chapel, you know, because his girl has left him or because he loves his girl. I mean, that like all these songs are just about getting the guy or girl it feels like <laughs> right and so i look at the lyrics and i'm like oh wait no they they really mean church <laughs> chapel <laughs> yes you make a wonderful point of not only was elvis not the only person doing this but this is a cover of someone else's song so every it it was just how music got made. So this version's from 1953, which is the same year the song was written, but it was a country song for Daryl Glenn. And since it was written by his dad, which I found adorable. Mm -hmm. So his dad wrote it. It was a country song. And then they covered it. And it went to number one on the R&B chart, you know, did chart on the Hot 100 or whatever it was called then. But I also found it really influential. Or I also, I really like that it's included on this soundtrack because, you know, it is a little bit earlier. It's 1953. It's a slow... We've had slow songs, but they were usually, I don't want to say much bigger because I wasn't there and I don't know. And Mm -hmm. this obviously was a huge hit, but this is just such a quiet song compared to most of the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. 
I think part of that is because the Orioles, which I think on the actual soundtrack, they are credited as Sonny Till and the Orioles. Mm -hmm. There had been a couple lineup changes and uh, here and there. They started in the 40s, in the late 40s. And uh, I know Wikipedia is not like a place to go for facts, but their lead is literally one of the earliest such vocal groups who established the basic pattern for the doo-wop sound. Mm-hmm. So I feel like by including songs like this, it's it's like George Lucas wanted to give us a little education in how we got to rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. And uh, John Waters does that a lot as well. He really, uh, uh, for his movies, he has some of the greatest soundtracks. And and mm. yeah, and this starting out as a, a, you know, written by and performed in that country genre. That's another thing that, you know, Today, even, we look at how much crossover there is. And back then, that was the same. There was a lot of appreciation and crossover for roots music, whether it be from, you know, country or blues. Um, I wanted to point listeners to uh, one of my episodes of my podcast, (laughs) Vibrant (laughs) Visionaries. I got to speak with the filmmaker of a movie called Streetlight Harmonies and that on Vibrant Visionaries, that's episode 36. And Streetlight Harmonies is a documentary about doo-wop. And I got to speak with him and also a couple of the vocalists that were in the film, in the documentary. And Streetlight Harmonies is on Amazon Prime and in all the, you know, usual VOD places. And if you're curious after, especially after maybe watching or re-watching American Graffiti, it's a, it's a nice companion to that is to check out. The podcast is a fun conversation, but the film is really, you know, expands on all of that. And then there's a book called, there's, uh, let's see, Always Magic in the Air. And Always Magic in the Air is a lot more about the songwriters of the 60s and 50s. And I really like referring people to that book because it starts to really give context and you get to learn who a lot of the original songwriters were for quite a few of the songs that are in this in this movie. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and how it really is a combination of a whole lot of different people and a lot of um yeah, a lot of performers back then, they were performers but not songwriters. And so yeah, they were finding or getting pitched um songs that would be a good fit for them. We'll get into like your history with the movie, but what's your history with the soundtrack? Were you a big fan? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't remember like when I saw the movie exactly or what the circumstance was, but I do remember seeing it with my dad and I remember absolutely being in love with the soundtrack. And then my dad saying he was, he would, you know, of all of the characters, he would have been the Kurt, you know, he was the Kurt out of them. And then Brian, my husband, lived in Petaluma, where where most of this is shot. And I've gone to Petaluma quite a bit and had great times there. It's really close to where I live here in Oakland. So I have some connections to the, you know, the locations 
as well. And it, it, it's a great town. Um, and when you come on out to California, Tierney, we'll Someday. definitely have to meet up over there. <laughs> there's some awesome places to stay and there's great music there and uh, all sorts of good stuff. But it, yeah, the, this location, Brian and I, as we were watching American Graffiti last night, we stopped and he uh, got on the old Google Maps and was showing me, oh yeah, he used to um, live in a house on the same street as where the uh, car race is and all that stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. And some of those buildings still exist, but they just don't have the cool, as much cool neon as they did before. (laughs) That's actually one of the things we were trying to track down, but I think it was um, Lucas's San Rafael, I think is how you're supposed to pronounce it. Uh, Not San Rafael, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Oh, yeah. Um (laughs) San Rafael. Yeah. San Rafael is very close. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was in there. So when Toad gets into the accident and he pulls over by that car lot and like the used car salesman is sitting in that giant chair, Mm -hmm. that was a real thing that like Lucas spotted while like location scouting, but I cannot find anything about it. Uh, You should have seen me trying to scour like (laughs) the online archives of area newspapers being like, how could no one have ever commented on a giant chair like that. (laughs) Well, that area really wouldn't be out of place at all. (laughs) Uh, There's all sorts of quirky like art installations and interesting things in that area too. Uh, One of the interesting things in that area is this radio station, which is a real radio station. You'll just see it referred to as KRE in Berkeley. So Berkeley, California, it's a real radio station. I, when he's driving up here and he goes in, it always makes me think now of UHF because mm-hmm. I've hung out with Jonathan Carlyle for more than two seconds. So I've now seen UHF and think about <laughs> it. But I wanted to specifically mention the filming location, not just because it's great. I'm obsessed with this door that Kurt goes through and it's mm-hmm. like lightning bolts around its porthole. But because if you Google KRE Berkeley, trying to find out what it it is now like a certain podcaster that's talking right now. One of the first results is from bayarearadio.org. It says the history of radio station KRE. Mm-hmm. What I love is it is so long and I did not realize it only goes up to 1972. But if you've ever wanted to know details and fascinate, like what did the equipment look like in 1923? <laughs> details. It's a really great essay. And it says, yeah, this article was written by John Schneider in 1972 to commemorate KRE's 50th anniversary. And so KRE was the this building that he's going into became the home of the California Historical Radio Society, which it was until 2014. And then I can only find things of them moving, but not where they I guess I would have to Google the Historical Society specifically. But there's also CaliforniaHistoricalRadio.com put up a couple videos, you know, the last days of KRE where they're walking around inside and outside the building. And, you know, obviously it looks a little different. Um, but I just thought that was funny that the incredibly detailed history of this building, like down to the little itty bittiest things, stopped the year before this film was like <laughs> they didn't realize it was going to have this whole kind of second life as 
where Kirk goes to meet Wolfman Jack. <laughs> yeah, speaking of, yeah, I mean, Berkeley's super close. So if, if this, if that door still exists, I mean, <laughs> I'd love to go visit it and snap a photo in front of it or something. Yeah, and I used to listen to Wolfman Jack as a kid too. So, I mean, when he, when I saw him in this movie, I was already familiar with him as a person, a, a <laughs> DJ that I was a fan of. And We're got like to all hear. us New England kids thinking he was made up for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then discovering the truth. So we can talk a little bit, a little rundown on Wolfman Jack and correct me if uh, you're like, wait, no, 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 no. This is how it went. Wolfman Jack's legal technical name is Robert Weston Smith. He is from Brooklyn, New York. So there's our East Coast connection. But uh, Wolfman Jack was born (laughs) not in his Brooklyn days. So he became a DJ. Eh, That's fine. Nothing crazy. And he ended up working for, well, he's going to end up working for XERB. Don't worry. But first, he's going to work for XERF. RIP my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so that broadcast from across the across the border from Del Rio, Texas. And the reason that they did this was that Mexico could broadcast a signal so strong that it could be received in almost all of the United States. Or I should say the continental United States, whatever. Their tagline was that someone could drive from New York to LA and never lose the radio station. So in 1963, he goes down there and really develops the Wolfman Jack radio show. I think he'd come up with kind of the idea and he was sort of doing other things and playing with it and, you know, adding Jack because that was a cool, you know, hit the road Jack at the time. But 1963, he starts broadcasting from across the border really develops the personality, really develops the show. One thing that my modern podcasters will appreciate is that Part of all this was he did read ad copy, including for a pill that was the equivalent in its day of Blue Chew. So (laughs) I know many podcasters who have had to read Blue Chew ads and be like, oh, what am I going to do with this? So you know what? If Wolfman Jack could do it, you can do it. (laughs) So he was down there for... It says eight months that he moved to Minneapolis, but he still sent them tapes. And this is the first time I start seeing that it's all about it's all about the tapes, baby. Um, in 1966, that's when he joins XERB, which is broadcast from Mexico. But, you know, I think he was recording it in L.A. It's, you know, but the idea is now there are a bunch of tapes and isn't this great? And, you know, the Mexico signal is so strong and they're making all this money from all these ads. And then in 1971 or 70, I saw it two different ways, two different places. Mexico said, y'all got to stop <laughs> selling so much or selling all this stuff. Um, a lot of it was um, Pentecostal preachers mm-hmm. and things like that. And so... Roman Catholic Mexico was kind of like, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't seem legit. And also, like, y'all are in America keeping all this money. Like, what? there was nothing in it for them. (laughs) Right. So they, when they shut down, like, most of the advertising, the income dried up. The radio stations folded. And if you're looking at the timing of when American Graffiti was made and when that happened. So basically, in 1972... When uh, I think it was Bill Hayek and Gloria, why can't I remember her last name? 
when they show up and say, hey, would you like to be in a movie? He said, sure, because he was doing <laughs> anything for income. In those. I shouldn't say anything, but he was uh, very open to different streams of income. <laughs> uh, basically, Lucas gave him a fraction of a point and American Graffiti was a huge hit. It was part of his regular income stream for the rest of his life. Um, the other thing was that he edited those tapes that he had, that he owned, and sold them to stations, one of the first syndicated radio or rock and roll radio programs. And so that's why he became so ubiquitous. I mean, like, you growing up in California and listening to Wolfman Jack is cool. But the fact that I was able to grow up in Connecticut in the 90s and hear Wolfman Jack is a miracle. <laughs> and the fact that our co-host Doris grew up in Germany and heard Wolfman Jack is why he is Wolfman Jack. <laughs> he was everywhere because he just sold these tapes and they were just, they just kept going through. And then when that music was no longer current, he sold them to the oldie stations. <laughs> 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 so uh, that was great. He did pass away in 1995. He had just gotten home to North Carolina from recording a broadcast. So worked literally up until the day he died. Wow, that's that's cool that he, you know, was still working. That's awesome. I'm glad you did the 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 research on all that. <laughs> I I didn't. I was just like, I remember him fondly and that was about all I had to say. I did know about I did know about the uh broadcast out of Mexico and uh Brian and I were talking about that too because I'm just packing today's episode with recommendations, but there is a really <laughs> fascinating um book that I do want to recommend that has to do not specifically with Wolfman Jack, but with the start of those pirate radio stations yeah. from across the border that had, yeah, no limit and would like... <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's this book called Charlatan, America's Most Dangerous Huckster, The Man Who Pursued Him in the Age of Flim Flam. And that is by... Uh, the author is Pope Brock, and it's this really fascinating, it is a little gross, but it's about <laughs> John R. Brinkley, who was America's most brazen con man, and he had this medical practice. He started it, I think, in uh, Milford, Kansas, but he would do all these crazy, um, uh, let's just say uh, he introduced, and I'm reading this off of the, the little write-up about it, introduced an outlandish surgical method using goat glands to restore fading virility of local farmers. <laughs> so that uh, that's the, the boner pills of this episode <laughs> um, <laughs> connection. But um, he actually was early in developing a radio station across the border because he wanted to be able to sell his his snake oil all over the place. And he really developed uh, and brought country music to the radio, you know, took people that people were only hearing regionally and took them internationally and also really pioneered what you do on a radio, you know, like mm. kind of the early days of TV where it's like, okay, we've got this new medium. What do we do? And and even though he was a horrible person, <laughs> <laughs> he was also very innovative, you know, like many horrible people often are. He was really thought outside of the box. So I yeah. do recommend that, that book as a companion also to that uh, pirate radio history. Yeah, I will say I once you said his name and that I remembered there is an excellent Sawbones episode on him. That's a podcast that's done by a doctor and her 
can you just call him comedian husband? <laughs> I don't know what Justin. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what Justin McElroy's business cards say. <laughs> Is he a doctor and her McElroy? <laughs> <laughs> doctor and her McElroy. I love it. Um, Sawbones is a really great podcast. I don't know. I assume if you just search John Brinkley in their archives, you'll find it. I don't know if they have like a clever title or if his name is in it, but I do remember learning about that. So if if what we just described, you actually were like, I need to know more about this nonsense. That's a great <laughs> source for it. From the radio side of it, I don't know if it's a recommendation because I only found out it existed about 15 minutes ago. But Wolf Man Jack did write an autobiography. Oh, excellent. It's called Have Mercy Confessions of the Original Rock and Roll Animal. <laughs> I don't know how gross it gets. Probably a little bit. <laughs> I will say that was one I read. Um, Oh, I don't remember who coordinated it but the oral history of punk Mm -hmm. i think um and it was one of those where like it was really interesting but by the end of the book i was just like i just hate every like everyone's a terrible person except for these two nice people who i know are gonna like die in a of an ode you know like it just is a real downer it was like no i just want everyone to be happy but i really like that wolfman jack really like just took this persona and ran with it and was like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do. Like, this is what I do. Here are my tapes. This is, And so I love that him being able to pop in this tape and be like, no, 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 no. And, and at the end, when he's like, I'm not the wolf man. And he starts like everything he's doing in this radio station, like, is right. Is that how I want to phrase this? But but like Wolfman Jack was on tape. So yeah, what I, what I like to hear... You get to s- just be introduced to him during the- this little section that we have. Mm-hmm. And he's got the popsicles, which I love. And all that. <laughs> he does a great job. But, you know, yeah, as as you mentioned, you know, he is Wolfman Jack, but he acts like he isn't. And when you hear him pop in the tape, you hear that persona version of him. It's yeah. a slightly higher register. There's a different energy. And it does remind me of listening to those, um, speaking of punk, listening to those uh, radio or those DJs from more of like the 70s uh, punk and hip hop era, era out of New York that had the call-ins, you know, and you could hear a little bit of, you know, a dedication or a call-in and have the um, DJs of that time really be, you know, real characters. And and this reminds me of that a lot. So it doesn't surprise me that he's from New York. Uh, but yeah, it's fun to hear how him like in his regular voice. And I don't know, as a podcaster yourself, uh, you and I are both podcasters. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were first starting uh, doing podcasting, did you, you know, go, oh, I need to have a little more of a heightened voice? Or did you kind of, you know, go, I want to sound just like me as much as possible or (laughs) anything like that come for you? I have the weirdness of, I think I talk pretty much the same way. I think uh, how I talk on a podcast is how I talk in real life when I'm a little bit excited. Mm-hmm. But it's it's always that energy. And I think part of that is, like Wolfman Jack, uh, spoilers for those who don't know me in real life, my legal name is not Tierney Steele. And there was this very definite decision that I made where I was like, oh, like it sounds very like, get this girl a therapist to be like, Tierney Steele said this, but that's okay. <laughs> and I was Tierney Steele legally for most of my life, so it's not like it's weird, but... Um, I just decided to use my maiden name when I started podcasting. I I decided years ago that I, well, so I grew up a little girl who wanted to be an author. 
And of course, dreaming of being an author, I always pictured my name on the cover. And so even when I got married and changed my name, that Tierney Steele was the name I saw on the cover of the books that I was magically going to write someday. Well, guess what? I wrote a book and that's it. So like I have this weird disconnect between personally, legally, I am this person, but professionally, podcastily, I am that person. (laughs) You can, if you're having like a downer day, you're just not in the mood, but you know you have to podcast, you can kind of like psych yourself up and do that. I'm I'm sure everyone, I'm sure you have done this. I'm sure everyone has done this where like, you just kind of psych yourself up and you're like, nah, nah, come on, do the energy thing. We can do this. The episode's not going to be over an hour. Come on, you got this. <laughs> you know, you give a couple of woos and eat a popsicle and then you're you're ready. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. And sometimes one of my tricks is I'll listen to like Who Charted or some other podcast mm. where there's a lot of energy and fun and laughter and it'll kind of shake me out of my doldrums a bit and get me get me in the game. So yeah, Wolfman Jack is just the perfect example of that persona where it's like, I am that person, but I'm not. And that was part of the appeal. We saw earlier in the film, everyone in the cars with their theories of like who Wolfman Jack really is and what's his deal. And part of that was because no one really knew who this guy was or what was going on there. Right, right. You and didn't what see his these eth- people. What his ethnicity is. Yeah, what his mm-hmm. history is. Yeah, he's a... Uh, mysterious and that definitely yeah lends that mystique lends some something x something different something intriguing yeah yeah so i love that he's introduced to us in shadow it's really cool the way because it starts with him and kurt talking through i i don't know the words for these recording studios but talking on either side of the glass and i love there are a couple shots where you're seeing kurt's reflection doubled in the glass Mm -hmm. and then the wolfman like his silhouette his shadow it's so it's the perfect introduction to this weird mystery character and i think it really really lends itself towards this weird little story mystery they're building here where like they do give it away but if since i first saw this movie as a kid and i definitely remember teen whatever i definitely remember there being a like Wait, no, it's definitely him, right? Like, that is Wolfman Jack, as they show the thing, but he had the take. Like, you just, there was just enough doubt in my mind that it really worked for me, the way they set this up of here, you know, the when he's like, no, man, I'm not the Wolfman. And Kurt is just heart. Also, it's 4.50 a.m. I mean, nothing good ever happens after 2 a.m., right? <laughs> <laughs> You know, that rewatching this after it, it had been a while, um, mm-hmm. rewatching it, I really appreciated. And I'm sure you've, you've, um, touched on this since I'm coming in towards the end here, but the sound design and the visual storytelling of this, it really does feel like this sort of cinema verite sort of like, out, uh, you know, documentary style, but without the the annoying handheld shaky cam. I am nodding. That doesn't work on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and the sound design is fascinating. You really feel like, you know, it's like the surround sound, whether you have surround sound or not. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm touching on something you've you've discussed before. 
Well, you'll be happy to know that um, George Lucas very much wanted it to be like a documentary and people talked him down and were like, no, we need more lights. We need more of this. But it, it very much is still in that style. And I mean, this the fact that they went to an actual radio, like they didn't build a set. They went to a radio station and they put Wolfman Jack in a booth. <laughs> <laughs> they said, here are your lines, you know, like, there, there is something to be said for, it feels real because it is real. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So, but yes, and Richard Dreyfus does also knock it out of the park when he says, I'm not the wolf of any size. And th- just the way he just says, he's on tape. <laughs> and then he like laughs. laughs. It gets me every, it's right at the end of the segment and it gets me every time. So yes, I love that. I love all this equipment. Like. I don't know what happened in my past, but like this era, like I always used to joke it was like the army surplus stuff that mm-hmm. you get, like the army navy stuff. Like those desks, I wanted those desks. Mm-hmm. And like this, everything is gray and grige. I'm <laughs> into it myself. I have I stuff love like it. that. <laughs> if you could see my um, stapler that I have, and maybe I'll take a picture, remind me to take a picture of my swing line. It's <laughs> it's vintage and it's that particular, I almost dropped it on my keyboard. Uh-oh. Not a good idea, <laughs> but it's that that particular kind of army green, but mm-hmm. mild and soft and shiny and pretty. And I'm there with you. Like when I go thrifting, I'm always looking for like the slightly dented metal, like old uh, holders of things, <laughs> things that would be mm-hmm. on like a military person's desk or chairs. We have so many <laughs> chairs and lamps <laughs> that have that patina. Yeah, or even that wood, you know, of the desk, mm-hmm. that's, you can imagine that the corners are all, or you can tell that the corners are all softened from, um, you know, being there for a long time and, and being bumped into. And and yeah, I'm totally, totally into that <laughs> stuff. The one thing that holds me back a little bit is I'm pretty sure that's the exact same clock on the exact same wall and color that my high school had. <laughs> There's a little bit when, uh, when they're just showing Kurt. Mm-hmm. With those blocks behind him and like the announcements tacked up where I'm just like, oh, no, it's school. (laughs) Why am I back at school? But I also like that there's little notes like just everywhere (laughs) in this little studio. Yeah, that's what I think I like about the popsicle, too, because it just adds it adds another layer of, of realism. I remember having a a barbecue once and some people showed up and they were just like, we thought it would be a good idea to buy popsicles, but that means everybody has to eat them right now. (laughs) So they're just like (laughs) handing them out. They're all shoving them. (laughs) It's like, it's popsicle time, everybody. (laughs) Oh my God. This is one of the scenes that is why I chose American Graffiti for this series of we do a summer movie every year. And this like, it's it's almost 5 a.m., but you can just feel like the residual heat hanging out when he's parking the car and going in here that the fact that like, you know, we got to eat the popsicles before they all melt. It just even though it's it's not even the middle of the night, it's early morning at this point, but even though it's the middle of the night, it's August. It's still summer like the, the summer is a 24 seven proposition. <laughs> as far as <laughs> 
Yeah, and I know um, that this was shot in Berkeley, but it, yeah, if you were in Petaluma in August, you definitely get like, you know, it it's it's a rural area. There are a lot of uh, Bob Falfa's name Falfa for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's very farmy smelling around there too. <laughs> I love earlier in the movie, uh, one of the Wolfman Jack bits is he's giving the weather forecast and it's like, it's going to be 300 in the valley and like all these ridiculous things where it's just like yeah i can see that (laughs) before central air was everywhere i bet that was pretty uh pretty yucky (laughs) oh yeah it's real good he doesn't have a pop filter on his microphone but you know what he's not a podcaster it's all good (laughs) (laughs) i was trying to think if there's anything else that i had specifically for this little section or anything else that you wanted to talk about since this is your uh your time to just bask in all the american graffitiness <laughs> i love all the wolfman jack stuff all of the the debbie and terry and all the kurt kurt's adventures are really mm-hmm. fun i do not care about steve and Lori's story i mean i love ron howard and i was definitely a big liver and shirley fan but just that, that those characters and their storyline doesn't doesn't interest me at all but like john what's his last name the one with the yellow oh uh milner milner i love him and i absolutely love Mackenzie phillips carol i mean that that is all 100% like super fun <laughs> and i remember <laughs> just thinking he was so dreamy and charismatic like he was i definitely would be crushing on him for sure and definitely crushed on him and i mean of course I mean, of course, Harrison Ford is a doll, but, you know, his character is such a wang, although I love when he does his, his, his when he sings his song. That so, is, some enchanted evening. Some enchanted evening. I mean, that is, yeah. that is awesome. That's a, that's a spotlight. <laughs> I love Harrison Ford, but I do have to say, especially having seen, like, just the cowboy hat is doing nothing for me. And I just, he seems so like divorced from everything else going on in this movie. He's just the big baddie who like shows up yeah, every now and then to like be Darth Vader in his black car. I know at some point, I don't know how seriously, but at some point George Lucas was like, that Paul Lamott, he did a great job as John Milner. I bet he'd be wonderful in this new character I've developed, Han Solo. And I got to tell you, if John Milner and Hans and Han Solo were played by the first guy, I I don't know that I physically would have survived that crush. <laughs> that would have been too much, too much hotness for me. <laughs> Having them separated out into two separate characters that I both think are pretty cute and cool, like that I can handle. <laughs> <laughs> spread it out, spread it out. <laughs> there we go, there we go. That's how you deal. <laughs> yeah, I guess the other thing to say is... Is grow- growing up in Southern California in the 70s, the costuming is still, it is super authentic. And much like today, the trends go round and round. So even though it was the 70s, there was still like, there were um, times as a kid when the guys all had kind of shorter hair. And then there were times when the guys all had kind of longer hair. Everybody looked at where I grew up in Seal Beach, everybody looked like they literally just showed up, you know, at school from, you know, with still 
with sand on their feet from the beach. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, there are a lot of surfers. There are a lot of guys with that kind of bleachy, shaggy hair that a couple of the the cuties that are out, you know, cruising have. And uh, yeah, so I did feel kind of connected as far as like the way everybody looked and that kind of California vibe, even though this is Northern California. There's still that surfer culture. And even Mackenzie Phillips has her surfer shirt on, which you can still get a version, not exactly the same version, but you can still get a version of that shirt on their website. I have plugged Dewey Weber before on this podcast because I have that shirt, the one where um, the big Dewey Weber's on the back instead of the front. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the one I have. But, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, my parents grew, my parents were surfers, like they met as surfers. So this feels like that era, you know, this is that era for them, just at a slightly different part of California. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is such a big state that it feels like it's too different, but that's okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. For coming on the show, I you are not alone in being like, Steve is not worth our time. But <laughs> it's nothing against Ron Howard. He's no. just oh my god, not the and Opie. Guys. Oh, oh. His early work as Opie is, oh my gosh, chef's kiss for adorable <laughs> kid <laughs> work. Well, that's I'm never my parents' favorite musical because they joke it's the story of their lives. Obviously not in Iowa in the time period, but um, the Music Man is like my 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 mother is a librarian. My dad was in sales. They, they love that movie <laughs> and um, him in the Music Man, like him counting along the beat for his cues in the <laughs> like it just goes straight to my heart every time. So. Anyway, he would, you know what? I was about to say he would probably be mortified, but Ron Howard can deal. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure if he's embarrassed by that, he's gotten over it by this point. (laughs) But thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. This has been a blast. I mean, I knew it would be fun because... It's American Graffiti and it's Heidi. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I really appreciate you inviting me. And I just thought of a little funky connection there too, which is I absolutely love that thing you do. That's also, Mm. that's just one of my favorite Mm -hmm. films. And Clint Howard, Ron Howard's fun and fugly brother, <laughs> I say that with all the love in the world, plays a DJ during that. So that that's tying it all together. There we go. If you want to check out Clint Howard in a, in a great little kind of a cameo role in a way of uh, in that thing you do as a DJ. He's also one of my favorite gifts that I use on Twitter anytime <laughs> I can. <laughs> what a beautiful segue to say where can people find you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So my podcast is called Vibrant Visionaries. And I talk with really creative people. A lot of times they're filmmakers, fellow podcasters, uh, writers, comedians, cartoonists. And we talk about projects and their process. And a lot of times we share like mindfulness tips and the ways to like be creative and um, also like sustain your mental health at the same time and thrive in your creativity. And you can find that at vibrantvisionaries.com. And we, um, I launched a YouTube channel in April of 2021. So there's interviews there. And by the time this releases, there'll be like cooking demos and stuff on there too. So I'm I'm just sharing Ooh. everything I'm into, like food and hospitality and creativity and just entertainment journalism, all the things that I'm 
into podcasting. Of course, I'm, I'm, I love podcasting. I started with Spinal Tap Minute, and then I did Cabin Minute Cast, which is for the Cabin in the Woods. So you can find those at SpinalTapMinute.com and CabinMinuteCast.com if you want to get into my movies by minutes stuff. But Vibrant Visionaries is where you can find all the current stuff. That's a really fun series you've done. And I haven't checked out, well, by the time this airs, I will have checked out the YouTube channel. But even just the podcast episodes have been, I mean, I say so random with all the love in the world. (laughs) Like That's what makes them fun and interesting is you never know who you're going to talk to next and what and what they're going to talk about. Sometimes you'll interview someone. I'm like, oh, well, I'm sure they'll be discussing this. And it's just, nope. I mean, that gets mentioned, but we just had this to talk about. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's really like just a little behind the scenes there, like listening to shows I love, like Star Wars Minute and all these other movies by minutes podcasts that I listen to quite a lot of. When it'd get to the end and they somebody the guest might, you know, at for the first time maybe say who they are and what they do, I'd go, oh, I want to hear more about that, you know, and I like, so this is kind of my version. This is my offshoot and inspiration from that is like, all right, well, now let me really hear about you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. If you're looking for more of American Graffiti one song at a time, first of all, if you're not subscribed by episode 46, click that button, whatever you're listening on. So you can come back tomorrow without having to research it. And we have a Facebook group. Mel's Listeners Drive-In, which is where we can talk, share photos if you had a cool car in high school and want to show it off or something like that. And we're also on Twitter and Instagram, in case you don't have Facebook. You can find us there under the handle VCR Privileges. Um, And yes, we are quickly approaching the end of this movie, which feels absolutely crazy to say, but um, VCR Privileges is so named because every summer we come back and talk about one of these movies that just makes us feel like it's summer, like it's August, <laughs> like uh, like we're going through this with it, which I absolutely love. And so look there, there are photos, Twitter, we do links to the shows, and uh, also or I guess if you want to find out more. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. That was a blast. He's really fast, isn't he?